This is Wilderness and Wildlife, presented by the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. This is a half-hour program featuring commentaries and interviews with wildlife and wilderness advocates relating to the unique natural environment that we enjoy all over the wildlands of the West and across America. I'm your host, Jay Shell. Today we are interviewing Jenny Waddell, Research Coordinator at Olympic Coast National Marine Sanctuary from her office in Port Angeles, Washington. So, uh, welcome, Jenny. It's good to be talking with you. Uh, oh, I wanted to introduce you. Uh, uh, she has been with the uh, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration since 2001 and with the Olympic Coast National Marine Sanctuary since 2016. Her background is in marine conservation science. She holds a master's degree from the University of Washington in Seattle. So welcome, Jenny. Thank you, Jay. Okay, uh, well, uh, let's start by just telling us what it, what it means for an area to be designated as a national marine sanctuary. Uh, and tell us how many there are and uh, what makes the designation. Yeah, so national marine sanctuaries are really a national treasure. It's similar to the National Park Service, but only in the ocean and Great Lakes. Um, the Office of National Marine Sanctuaries is part of the National Ocean Service, which is a line office within NOAA, or the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which is within the Department of Commerce. So we are a federal government agency. The Office of National Marine Sanctuaries is responsible for managing this vast network of special places in the ocean and Great Lakes of our country, which are part of the National Marine Sanctuary system. The system, which covers more than 620,000 square miles, serves to protect our shared national heritage along U.S. coastlines. It was created after Congress passed the National Marine Sanctuaries Act, along with other bedrock environmental laws in the early 1970s. Among other things, the act prohibits oil and gas drilling within sanctuaries while allowing other compatible uses and directs NOAA to protect and conserve special places as national marine sanctuaries. So how many are there? There are currently 15 national marine sanctuaries and two marine national monuments, one of which may become a national marine sanctuary in the coming years. In so, addition, there are several more sanctuaries that are in the designation process right now, which includes areas of the Pacific Remote Islands, Hudson Canyon off New York, two sites in the Great Lakes, and the Chumash Heritage Site in California, which was the first site to be nominated by a tribal community. Uh-huh. So uh, in a governmental structure, you're under the Department of Commerce. Is that right? That's right. Uh-huh. And... Uh, Tell us about the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration. Oh, sure. NOAA is such a great, such a great agency to work for. It's um, really focused on many environmental aspects of our of our nation. Um, there are multiple line offices within NOAA, so we we're part of the National Ocean Service, uh-huh. but there's also the National Weather Service the National Marine Fisheries Service, NOAA Research, and then a group um, called NESDIS, which puts up most of the satellites that provide information about our planet. So what's the, uh, what's the ocean coast area that you're responsible for or that you work in? Yeah, sure. Um, Olympic 
Coast National Marine Sanctuary is um, was established in 1994, and it's actually pretty large at nearly 3,200 square miles. In the north, the border follows the international border with Canada, and then it extends seaward between 25 and 45 miles from shore. The sanctuary coastline is about 135 miles long and extends from a point just west of Mia Bay, Washington, around the corner at Cape Flattery, and south to the mouth of the Copalis River. It's primarily composed of shallow water habitats on the continental shelf, but we also have um, some really spectacular deep sea canyons within and adjacent to the sanctuary. It's a really interesting place. So the coastline is designated as a national heritage area. Is, is that just a designation that gives it certain kinds of protection? You know, that's a recent designation since 2019, and it's uh, run by the State Historic Preservation Office, and we are uh, considered an anchor organization as part of it, but it's a relatively new designation focused on Washington's maritime history. Uh, what's the marine sanctuary uh, charged with performing? Here on the Olympic Coast, we operate primarily through three main program areas. Um, that's resource protection, education and outreach, and research and monitoring. Uh, and although sometimes we think of these as separate program areas, in truth, our small staff is constantly working together across these programs to achieve the goals and objectives that are laid out in our sanctuary management plan. There are several indigenous tribal groups that are located in that area. Uh, are they involved at all in, in your administration? Yes, definitely. Um, and this is probably the most rewarding part of our work at the sanctuary, um, working with our tribal partners who have been living along the Olympic coast since time immemorial. Uh, the coastal treaty tribes, which are sovereign governments, include the Ho tribe, the Macaw tribe, the Quileute tribe, and the Quinault Indian Nation. Mm -hmm. And these tribes are very unique in the U.S. in that they have reserved treaty rights to marine resources that occur within each tribe's usual and accustomed fishing area as a result of treaties that they signed with the federal government in the 1850s. Um, so most of the sanctuary, there's only a tiny portion of the sanctuary that is not part or overlapping the usual and the custom areas of the tribes. So these treaties, in addition to reserving specific rights, the treaties also establish treaty trust responsibilities for the federal government, which are very well reflected in the priorities of the sanctuary that was established here on the Olympic coast. Um, support from the Coastal Treaty Tribes was really key to the establishment of the sanctuary in the beginning, and those relationships really remain vital to our work. Oh, that's day. great. Yeah, uh, it's really exciting. I understand you're currently undergoing a management plan review. Uh, tell us about that. Absolutely. Um, so the designation and management of National Marine Sanctuary is infused with public input from soup to nuts, so the entire process. Um, has public input involved in it um, by law. And our management plan that we're currently operating under was developed in 2011 and has been guiding our work to this day. Um, however, with most plans, things 
in the world change. And so we are in a process right now to review our management plan and with public input to make revisions to it to better achieve the goals and objectives that we set out for ourselves. So there is a public input. Um, sorry, there was a public comment period that happened this spring. And once we have a draft management plan, there will be another public comment period so everyone can review what our new goals and objectives are that will guide sanctuary management for the next decade or so. Do you have a relationship to Olympic National Park nearby or any of the Washington State parks in the area? So this is an easy question to answer because we work with the partners that you mentioned and many more. But it's also a little tricky because the jurisdictional authority changes depending on where you are exactly and who the adjacent landowner is. So if you look at a map of the sanctuary, you'll notice some unique aspects of this place. Along the coastline, you'll notice the long shared border with Olympic National Park. And we do work with them on several research and out outreach efforts, especially because we share jurisdiction with the park in the intertidal zone. Many offshore rocks and islands lie within one of three national wildlife refuges that also are within sanctuary boundaries. Mm. Um, and furthermore, the sanctuary lies within the U.S. Navy's Northwest Testing and Training Range and includes the Quinault Range site as well. So there are lots of different partners that we work with, and it kind of depends on who the adjacent landowner is. So what are the uh, regulations that uh, the National Marine Sanctuary uh, has to enforce? Yeah, so each National Marine Sanctuary has its own specific regulations. So here I just want to clarify that I'm really just speaking for the Olympic Coast. Um, we are fortunate that we have some support from the International Maritime Organization, which designated a large zone called an ATBA or an area to be avoided that overlaps about 70% of the sanctuary. The ATBA designation prohibits certain classes of large ships and ships carrying hazardous cargo from transiting the sanctuary. And we keep track of the compliance rates for those vessels throughout the year. So we have, um, there are regulations that we have in the sanctuary in addition to this that prevent certain types of activities, largely discharge into the waters of the sanctuary, disturbance of the seabed, and disturbance of wildlife from overflight or aircraft. So while we don't have an enforcement or police powers, we're not rangers out there stopping people, we definitely work very closely with the U.S. Coast Guard, NOAA's Office of Law Enforcement, and the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, who all do have the authority to enforce our nation's laws and regulations, including the Marine Mammal Protection Act, the Endangered Species Act, and a variety of laws related to fisheries management. So we work very closely with enforcement partners to make sure that people are um, abiding by these rules and regulations. However, we at the sanctuary are not involved in fisheries management, uh, which is really a complicated and sometimes contentious subject, as you might imagine. You're charged with protecting the integrity of the marine environment. What's that mean? Yeah, so National Marine Sanctuaries are intended to recognize and protect our shared maritime heritage, whether that involves a graveyard of historic shipwrecks, a spectacular coastline that supports thriving productive ecosystems, or vital ocean areas used since time immemorial by our tribal and indigenous partners. 
protecting the integrity of the marine environment helps to support all of these uses, as well as other uses that are viewed as compatible with the goals of National Marine Sanctuaries. So the goals and objectives of each sanctuary designation are unique to each site, and they're described in the designation process and reflected in the substantial public involvement that occurs throughout that process. But that's where we talk about in the integrity of the marine environment and preserving it to make sure that species and ecosystems are able to function and thrive and be productive and provide all of the services that we count on them to provide whether it's fisheries or just recreation. Uh, you issue permits uh, for what purpose? Yeah, we do issue permits. Um, they're related to the regulations that I was mentioning earlier. Mm -hmm. um, currently, they focus on three types of prohibited activities, which are outlined in our designation document. These are discharge into the waters of the sanctuary, mm. disturbance of the seabed, and disturbance of wildlife from overflight of aircraft. Mm. So these types of activities would need to have a permit from the sanctuary before they can occur. Um, as part of our permitting process, we also have a standard 30-day consultation period with the coastal treaty tribes to make sure that they are also aware of the permit application and have an opportunity to voice concerns, offer suggestions or mitigations, and otherwise participate in the process. So in a way, it's kind of providing a service to researchers and others who wish to work or study in this region, but are kind of unsure how to engage with the local tribal government. Can you talk about seafloor monitor mapping? Sure. Um, so we don't ourselves currently map the seafloor, but we work with a variety of experts who are equipped to do this work. This would include several NOAA hydrographic vessels, as well as ships owned and operated by our partners like the Ocean Exploration Trust, the Schmidt Ocean Institute, the Global Foundation for Ocean Exploration, a variety of academic partners, and occasionally private companies. We do this work really to understand the composition of the seafloor and to inform both our research and resource protection efforts. However, other partners are able to use the very same data for a variety of other purposes, including fisheries management and other and, and resource management. And then some of our federal partners like the USGS are able to use seafloor mapping data to understand changes that are happening from plate tectonics and predict hazards that might occur on shore from earthquakes and tsunamis generated at the Cascadia subduction zone, which is just offshore of the Olympic Coast National Marine Sanctuary. There are many uses for seafloor mapping data, and we have been able to obtain new data for hundreds of square miles of the seafloor in just the past seven years. The hardest areas to map, of course, are near shore because we have so many offshore islands and sea stacks and other hazards to vessels. However, new autonomous mapping technology is currently in development, and we're really hoping to use that here in the next coming next few years. And you, uh, you, you do acoustic surveys. What's the purpose of that? Yeah, that's a really exciting area um, that we've been working in just for the past five years or so. Um, we have been monitoring underwater sounds um, at four sites in the sanctuary and one site just outside the sanctuary. And everybody listening can actually go to our website and listen to clips of what we heard 
um, which was really enlightening in, in a bunch of different ways. But we've made all of the information available to the public in a way that folks can tune in and, and listen to what we heard and learn about the different sound levels that we recorded. And we have been working on this particular project for the past four years. And given how important the recordings turned out to be at one of the sites, we're going to continue to record there for the foreseeable future. That site is um, really located at the center of a lot of commotion. It's called OCO2, and it's right in the middle of the international shipping lane, which is an area that's also important for humpback whales, southern resident killer whales, and other marine mammals, as well as an important location for fishing. So thanks to these hydrophones and two others that are deployed on the Canadian side of the border by the Port of Vancouver, we're able to do important things like estimate the impact of vessel slowdowns that have recently been implemented on both sides of the border to reduce impacts to animals and prevent ship strikes for whales. You pass that on to the Coast Guard? Oh, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a public website, and everybody has access to it. Okay, how about shipwrecks? You have a responsibility there. Can I bring out my put on my scuba gear and dive down? <laughs> Maybe next month, actually. Um, the historic shipwrecks are considered a part of the cultural heritage of the sanctuary, and we do our best to survey and study historic shipwrecks as part of our work. Um, I, I mentioned that jokingly, but we do have a big project next month to survey a few shipwrecks near La Pouche, Washington with colleagues from the Office of National Marine Sanctuary's Maritime Heritage Program. Um, we also have done a variety of other projects for historic shipwrecks, including in 2017, we used an underwater robot to survey the wreck of the USS Bagara, which is a Navy submarine that sank off Cape Flattery and lies in about 735 feet of water, mm. just outside the entrance to the Strait of Juan de Fuca. We did that work on. with the Ocean Exploration Trust, and those videos are available for folks to watch today if they'd like. Wow. Yeah, I won't scuba dive down to that one. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, but, you know, I also wanted to mention that here at the Olympic Coast, we have a much broader focus on cultural heritage than just sunken uh, ships, uh, largely thanks to the rich history of the tribal cultures that have flourished on this coastline since time immemorial. And learning from our tribal partners and incorporating indigenous knowledge into our programs and projects is a major focus of ours. So we really think about maritime heritage as much broader than the historic shipwrecks. But it also includes the historic shipwrecks, which we also are very interested in. Right. Uh, talk about Joshua Oceanographic moorings uh, you are responsible for. Yes, this is one of our most important projects. Um, this is actually our 24th year recording ocean conditions off the coast. Um, and we have really been <laughs> surprised to have documented some major changes that are happening here just in that short time period. You may have heard about the recent marine heat waves that affected the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. So we've been able to document those in the data. Um, we've also documented a loss of oxygen in the water column, mm -hmm. which can really impact the animals living there because except for marine mammals who breathe air at the surface, 
Mm-hmm. Most other things were need dissolved oxygen in the water. And we right. weren't able to see those changes in deoxygenation just in that two-decade record. You also have a responsibility for incident response. Talk about that. Yeah, incident response is more of a... We play more of a supportive role in incident response. What, to the Coast Guard? Yeah, so we regularly conduct training to ensure that our staff is able to engage in incident response. And all of the actions are specified in the Northwest Area Contingency Plan, which covers our entire region. So generally, response efforts on the Olympic coast, such as as in the event of a major oil spill, would be led by the U.S. Coast Guard in cooperation with a few key partners, including the Coastal Treaty Tribes and the responsible party. The state of Washington also maintains a geographic response plan for the coast that helps to direct rapid response efforts. And then, of course, NOAA plays a very significant role in in incident response, providing real-time information about currents and weather conditions, information about the environment and other scientific support and coordination roles. And there would also be, most of the sanctuary staff would end up in the environmental unit, and we would be working together with colleagues to quickly prepare a more detailed inventory of the resources at risk from the oil spill based on the specific time of year and our knowledge of which species are likely to be present and what life stage they're in, those sorts of things. So we all work together under the leadership of Incident Command. You also are responsible for doing trawling surveys. Uh, What are those? Yeah, we actually don't do trawling surveys. That is really um, NOAA's uh, National Marine Fisheries Service. Uh-huh. Do most of the fishery trials, as I mentioned, we're not involved in fisheries management other than in a supportive role. So all of the research trawling is done by partners within NOAA or by the fishers themselves. I see. Okay. Uh, so uh, well, any other conditions that you're monitoring uh, and trying to find out information for? Sure. Um, We regularly have a variety of activities that are all described in the 2011 Sanctuary Management Plan. So in addition to mapping and the mooring program and the sound recordings, we also conduct annual monitoring of kelp forests off the coast and of rocky intertidal areas. And for both of these different surveys, we use the same protocols that are in use across the West Coast. So that our data is comparable to data that's collected in California, Oregon, and Alaska. You also operate a discovery center. It's in Port Angeles, right? And can I yeah. get Yeah, you absolutely can. The Olympic Coast Discovery Center is actually a small facility in Port Angeles, but it's in Port Angeles because it's the gateway for many visitors who are coming to the Olympic Coast. Uh-huh. The Discovery Center is open weekends during the summer, and it's staffed with a cohort of trained volunteers who welcome visitors and answer questions about the Olympic Coast. Um, but an exciting thing to relay is that thanks in part to new funding provided by Congress, we're excited about the prospect of combining forces with the local Faro Marine Life Center to build a brand new discovery center um, on the Port Angeles waterfront, which will really be a fantastic state-of-the-art facility to introduce visitors to the region's wildlife and lush ecosystems. That's pretty exciting. 
Marine Discovery Center to come online. And uh, what could I expect to find in the Discovery Center? Are there are there visual exhibits? Yeah, there will be a whole variety of exhibits ranging from touch tanks that currently are in the Faro Marine Life Center. There's a lot of um, aquaria, but there are also um, different types of exhibits and videos and touch screens and lots of ways to get visitors as well as local students involved in marine science. And when do you expect that the the, uh, new center is going to be complete? That's a good question. It'll probably be a few years um, since the money was just appropriated recently. Um, But it's a great investment in our community, and I think it'll really help to connect visitors to this amazing place. Well, thanks, Jenny. This is our guest today has been Jenny Whitell, uh, Research Specialist at Olympic Coast National Marine Sanctuary over in Port Angeles, Washington. This has been Wilderness and Wildlife, a presentation of the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. To hear more of these half-hour interviews, go online to jswilderness.com and see additional features on our website. Next week, we'll be talking about wildlife uh, at the National Marine Sanctuary. So thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jay Shell.